Well, it's always nice when listeners text in with uh, thoughts on stories we've aired tonight. Stephen North Van about uh, our interview with the head of the Canadian Medical Association a little earlier says, I attended uh, the emergency last week due to a knee injury, checked the wait times at various Vancouver hospitals and chose to attend MSJ. The emergency is open 8 to 8 there. I arrived at 7 a.m., was the first in and it was out after 90 minutes. So there is some good news uh, at, at emergency rooms in this country out there. Um, and Catherine in Surrey says, we should go back to all drinks and glass, just like in the 70s. The water bottle ban is concerning to me, though, when he just said that it's easy to use, that's easy to use tap water. Uh, that is so simplistic because in disasters, you cannot say that. That's absolutely right. And Catherine also says she's highly allergic to tap water, which is another issue as well. So a bottled water certainly comes in handy. I've seen it in emergency situations. It can be a huge help. I guess uh, the concern is that we use it all the time here uh, when there are perhaps alternatives. But uh, interesting to get your thoughts as always. Please always feel free to share them, 877-399-9898, 877-399-9898. Well, you've been he hearing in the news today, the feds are going to spend an estimated $40 billion over the next 20 years to modernize North America's aging defense system. Defense Minister Anita Anand says in, in addition to the security benefits, the spending will have a positive economic result as well because of the jobs it will create, tens of thousands apparently. She made the announcement at uh, CFB Trenton today, uh, and it comes after numerous warnings from U.S. and Canadian military officials and experts that NORAD is badly showing its age. Here is the defense minister. As autocratic regimes threaten the rules-based international order that has protected us for decades, and as our competitors develop new technologies like hypersonic weapons and advanced cruise missiles, there is a pressing need to modernize Canada's NORAD capabilities. There is Anita Anand, $4.9 billion over the next six years or so will be spent as well. Not much in the way of detail, though, attached to all this. Not much meat on the bone, so to speak. Joining me now to dive into that is Wesley Wark. He's an expert on national security and intelligence issues and a senior fellow at the Center for International Governance Innovation. Thank you for your time. My pleasure. Thanks for having me on the program, Ben. So for listeners who may have lost track of exactly what NORAD does, other than, I guess, every year, tell us where Santa Claus is, <laughs> what's, uh, what, what is the state of it these days and how much of an upgrade is it in need of? Uh, it's in desperate need of an upgrade. It's, it's really a very old and antique system. Uh, the, the actual, some of your listeners may, may remember uh, the Dew Line, uh, which was a radar station that was built um, during some of the darker days of the Cold War, when the fear was that um, uh, there might be Soviet bombers with, you know, carrying nuclear weapons um, coming at us over the pole, coming at both the United States and, and Canada. And so this radar station chain was built um, uh, at great cost and, and with some considerable difficulty in, in the the kind of polar and northern regions of, of Canada uh, 65 years ago. So many of those radar stations are 65 years old. The technology has has changed uh, dramatically, of course, since they were built. Um, the need for um, a more extended ability to cover um, air traffic, sea traffic, uh, undersea traffic in in at both coasts for Canada and in in the northern oceans and Arctic Ocean uh, has increased. And we're all aware of the geopolitical dangers that we're currently in. So um, it's, it's more than high time that we finally committed to upgrading this system, which we've been talking about for a very long time. 
Um, we saw an announcement today, of course. Uh, Four point nine billion is the uh, is the amount of money. I gather it's not new; it was budgeted already. Is that uh, is that enough? Um, it's a start. You put down a marker. Uh, I think no one is really quite clear, and because some of the technology is going to be quite new, um, and some of the costs may be higher than anticipated, some may be lower than anticipated. Um, particularly, you know, the building of new infrastructure in the Arctic is is always a challenge in terms of getting materials there and, and constructing it, doing it in an environmentally responsible way, making sure that you have the support of of a local indigenous population. I mean, these, these are all you know any construction project in the Arctic is, is a challenge. And, and of course, the Arctic region is, is being heavily impacted by climate change. So there are a lot of concerns about um, you know, the, the stability of critical infrastructure. So all of that's going to have to be taken into account. Wouldn't surprise me at le- in the least, Ben, if there are cost overruns in that regard. Some of the technology we're going to re- rely on um, is technology where the costs are coming down, uh, which is, is particularly true for the building and, and launching of satellite constellations, which are going to be an important part of that overall system of, of surveillance and monitoring in the north. And the great thing about that, I mean, so, you know, some folk may may ask, understandably, in the current kind of financial circumstances that we are in and many countries around the world are in, this is a good way to spend um, uh, the budget. But the reality is that much of what we'll build for NORAD modernization is is has potentially great and important dual use capabilities. You you can put satellites in uh, in orbit over the polar regions, and they can tell you not just about military traffic they might be worried about. They can contribute to search and rescue, which is probably going to be a you know a growing phenomenon as um, as the Arctic uh, Ocean continues to melt and become more ice free. There's a, there's a you know great capacity capacity for environmental monitoring, identification of uh, critical resources and minerals in the north, all kinds of uses. So it's it's a military project with a lot of civilian overtones, and, and hopefully that will cushion the cost a little bit. You mentioned earlier that a lot of the technology is obviously dated at this point. Uh, what are some of the new things that we would see coming in uh, to replace it? Well, I think in two things in particular, a whole array of satellite capabilities and, and spectrum for, for satellite monitoring, where you're not just talking about, you know, seeing things uh, visually from outer space, but you can use uh, the radar spectrum, you can use infrared spectrum to, to um, really be able to provide sort of 24-7 monitoring on, on a very precise basis. So certainly that set satellite technology has changed. The radar technology in terms of the ground stations that we built, that's also changed dramatically since the dew line was originally constructed. And so you you can now build uh, radar technology, which has a kind of over over the horizon capacity that is uh, very sophisticated. And another part of the promise that the defense minister indicated um, and was, you know, fairly close lipped about it was, was um, you know, more secretive sensor systems. Many of these will be upgrades to Cold War systems that were used uh, and uh, to monitor undersea traffic, submarine traffic uh, in particular, in in the coastal and Arctic regions that might be of concern to us. How much pressure was Canada under here from the U.S. to to sort of step forward with a modernization of this whole system? Uh, clearly, there was a visit, as as we talked about a bit earlier, uh, to NORAD by both the Prime Minister and uh, and Anita uh, Anand recently. Uh, yeah. I imagine certainly the the Americans have been looking for our help when it comes to to modernizing this whole system. 
Well, they have been. I mean, you know, NORAD in many respects is is a good deal for Canada in terms of of our share of of uh, the burden and cost. Um, about sixty to seventy percent of of NORAD costs are borne by the United States. So, so we, you know, we have that lesser burden. Um, I think what the United States was looking for was really a translation of promise into action. I mean, we've we've said for a very long time now that that uh, we recognize that the NORAD system um, is important. Uh, for for the defense and monitoring of the North American continent, we we continually underscore how important our security partnership and defense relations are with the United States. Um, even though those can go through some rocky periods, as we witnessed with the Trump administration, for example. So so we've said these things for a very long time. I think you know the frustration um, south of the border and in policy circles in in Washington D.C. and the Pentagon and so on was you know when are the Canadians going to translate promises into action. So so the pressure, I think, has been more, and it's always polite to a degree between allies, but the pressure has been more to say, okay, you've said all the right things. Now, when are you going to deliver on them? So so finally, we put some, some um, you know, monetary figures and a timeline, you know, the, the, uh, the billions that we're promising uh, allocated in, in defense spending in the last budget um, uh, are going to be spent over a six-year period. So, so that will also uh, encourage the Americans to think that, you know, we're finally getting serious about this. I guess they will want to see uh, more action as well, though, than just because there weren't a, weren't a lot of details today. I mean, we got some, but not a whole lot of meat on the bone. No, that's right. And, you know, one of the curious things about the timing of this announcement is is that it, it comes while um, the Department of uh, National Defense is still in the middle and fairly early stages of, of a promised uh, kind of review, defense review update, something was talked about in, in the recent budget. Uh, that defense review update, which is designed in part to kind of reflect on the circumstances created by the Russian invasion of Ukraine, but but also to think about defense capabilities, really five years after the the original review, the strong, secure, engaged defense review, major review done in 2017, uh, that updated review is is not going to be completed till the fall. So, I think at the very least, Ben, we we'd anticipate uh, seeing more of that substance um, with that uh, published defense review update. I'm speaking with Wesley Wark, an expert on national security and intelligence issues, a senior fellow at the Center for International Governance Innovation. We're talking about uh, Canada today. The defense minister announcing $4.9 billion uh, towards updating our northern defenses or NORAD uh, in general. Uh, After this, we'll talk a bit more about the evolving threat as well, because there was mention today of why this is necessary. We spoke about it a bit at the beginning, but uh, clearly we're seeing a threat evolve from different actors. uh, And we'll get into that after this. I'm speaking with Wesley Wark, an expert on national security and intelligence issues, a senior fellow at the Center for International Governance Innovation. We're talking about uh, the Defense Minister, Anita Anand, announcing $4.9 billion today. Not new money, but uh, money earmarked for the modernization of NORAD. Um, Wesley, we spoke spoke quite a bit today, I think, about the evolving threat, uh, hypersonic uh, missiles being one of them. What exactly has changed? Uh, I mean, we talked about how old the system is, and it's definitely in need of an upgrade no matter what. But the threat, too, is also evolving. Yeah, I think the the kind of key to this, Ben, to be honest, is a kind of shift in attention in, in terms of of geopolitical zones that are of interest to Canada or vital to Canada and are potentially under threat or in, in danger. And, and 
when I say a sort of shift of focus, I'm, I'm really talking about the increasing attention that Canada and many other countries are giving to the Arctic region. And, and that's happening for a number of reasons. It's, it's partly stimulated by the fact that Russia over the last several years has been modernizing its own military and economic footprint in its own far north. Uh, China uh, has been expressing an interest in um, being involved in Arctic development, uh, has described itself in a strategy paper as a near-Arctic power, which is maybe something that that people wouldn't normally associate with China. We're familiar with the, the idea that climate change is dramatically transforming the landscape of the Arctic, opening up the Arctic Ocean, opening it up possibly to a lot more seaway traffic, to a lot more competition for extraction and exploitation resources in, in the north. So uh, Canada now has um, an increasingly unfrozen and vulnerable northern frontier uh, that we must, uh, I think, pay attention to and, and have the capacity to monitor and really know what's going on there. There is an you know, ongoing disputes about maritime boundaries in, in the Arctic and, and the Russians have state, staked a very large claim there. And as we have seen from the Russian invasion of Ukraine, uh, Russia, uh, certainly during the, the, you know, the Putin years for however long they're going to last, has become a, a very unpredictable uh, global power that is, is not chained in any way to the rules-based order. And there are growing concerns about the, the genesis of a kind of Russia-China axis of interest uh, as a kind of informal alliance. So, so the world is shifting. And, and I think uh, for Canada and for the United States, there is a much greater focus on um, events, potential events in the Arctic, threats to the Arctic, the importance of the Arctic uh, region in terms of sovereignty protection and, and human security for, for those uh, living in the Arctic. So, um, we're, we're looking northwards uh, in this new geopolitical environment as a, as a key theater of concern where Canada has to have what's often called in military terms situational awareness. We really just have to know what is going on in the Arctic in order to you know, fashion appropriate responses. And, and the first stage there is, is having that monitoring capacity with, with a, um, a, a modernized capacity for what's often been called the North Warning System, as, as it's now referred to as no longer the dual but it's the North warning system. At long last, I imagine some experts such as yourself might, might say, what happens in the interim? We have a 65-year-old system still in place. Uh, how long might this take? And I guess for the meantime, uh, the 65-year-old system will stay, stay in place. Yeah, th those radar dishes will continue to kind of grind away on their axis in, in various uh, locations in the Arctic. Uh, that's the most antique and obsolescent part of the system. But but we have over time built up new components of the system, uh, in particularly in terms of uh, uh, satellite capability, both um, Canadian and American. So So there are certainly some more um, uh, modern components of the system already in place that we'll no doubt have to expand on. The big job will be replacing the old radar stations, but we're not uniquely dependent on them these days, but they certainly need to be upgraded. And that would be the whole a whole series of them. How many are there are there now? Forgive me for forgetting. There's there's a there were a bunch. 
There were there were a lot of them at one stage. I couldn't tell you off the top of my head how many yeah. operational radar stations there are now. I would I would suggest there there must be at least uh, ten or so across the the Arctic from uh, from the east coast to to the west coast, uh, and and those will all have to be not just replaced and upgraded, but in some cases uh, located to to new areas where where they you know it's a chain, and so you want to make sure that the coverage is overlapping and. And, and that you're able to see those parts of of air uh, space that you really want to uh, be aware of. So all of that will have to be there have to be a new map of this new system, basically. But again, no timeline uh, that we heard. Would you? What would be a what would be a reasonable timeline for something for an, a project of this ambition? Well, the original dew line took between 10 and 15 years to build. I'm not sure that we'll be able to build the ground stations that much quicker, perhaps a little quicker. So I would say easily 10 years before we get all that in place. But in the meantime, uh, we can do satellite launches and, and build more satellite systems much more quickly than that. And and that's in large part because uh, there is a possibility of relying on on commercial providers for some of that satellite capability, which, which didn't exist, of course, in the days of, of of the Cold War, where the only powers that were launching satellites were basically the great powers. Wesley Work, thank you so much for your time tonight. My pleasure. Thanks so much, Ben.